Well, we've been in Romans 12 for ever, my entire time here. It's been going on for... <laughs> we started out a, a few weeks back, and uh, we were talking about Romans 12, 1 and 2, which talks about being a living sacrifice, right? That that's our, our job is to worship wherever we go, that wherever we go, we take Christ with us. And to not conform to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that the world's going to try and formulate us into its uh, parameters, what it wants us to be. And our job is, is, though that's a draw for us, because we are part, that human part of us wants that, our job is to not conform to what they want, but to follow where Jesus goes and to follow God everywhere that he is. And if you look at that, if you think about that, if we're building a house, if we're building a house of faith, then this is our foundation, this is the core, this is the bedrock upon what we're going to build, right? We take us everywhere that we go, and we take Christ with us. Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So that's our job. Our job is to take up our cross. And that cross is different in each of our lives. It's different for me and it's different for you. That's, that's the wonderful thing about being the body of Christ is that, that he wants you to be you and he wants me to be me. Last week we talked about making disciples. And that disciples make disciples. And I asked the question, who's the Paul in your life? Who is it that is discipling you? Because we all need a Paul in our life. But it doesn't stop there because if, if all we're doing is getting fed, then we're not following in the footsteps of Christ, because then we share that with the Timothys of our life. We're to share what's given to us, and, and even if, if each of us only discipled two people, it wouldn't take very long for the church to grow and to become just, you know, we couldn't hold them in here for sure, and that would happen all over the world. God wants us to, to transform the communities that we live in, and the Christian life is not just about me personally, it's as us as a community. We belong to one another. That's, that's tight. That's a tightness that we have. And that's when we're at our best is when we're seeking to glorify God in that and not just ourselves. So that's what we talked about the last couple of weeks. And today I want to talk about love in action. This is what the people around us will see. If you look at these verses, 9 through 21, then, then we're go you're going to see... Um, they're going to... I'm sorry. Love... <laughs> Verses 9 through 21, I'm just not good at standing up there. I don't know what it is. Um, love is verb, right? It, love is the action that we seek. And this passage that, that, that Gary read a minute ago speaks to that. This is what the world is going to see. So 1 and 2 is the foundation. And then the, the, the verses 3 through 8 are the, kind of the framework. This is the finish work of the house that we're building, this house of Christian living. This is the finished part. When, we look, when people look at us, this is what they're going to see. They're going to see whether we love one another. Do we actually do that? And what does that look like in our life? It's a part of being a Christian, right? Because we're, we're called to love one another. What, we, what was the first song? They will know we are Christian. And you are awesome, by the way. Um, they're gonna, they will know we are Christians by our love. They'll also know that we're not Christians if we don't love. This is critical for us. Critical for us. See, I've been doing some work on the house. And um, 
that's meant tearing some stuff up. We're, we're trying to get ready to sell and, and so that we can move out here and, and be closer to the church and be a part of this community. And um, when I take stuff apart, when I start putting the, the insides together, it's, that's not a big deal for me. I, I know that the goal there is not how it looks, right? It, it's that it's stable, that it's solid. <laughs> so that might have a gap here and it might have a gap there, but it's solid. You know where I struggle a little bit? Angles. Angles on, on frames and, and stuff like that, you know, because those, you don't get, you don't have a lot of grace. You know, if there's a gap there, it shows and people see that. That's what people are going to see. So when we talk in these passages, we're talking about the finished work of a Christian. This is what we, we are when, when, we're, when we're presenting ourselves to the world. It's how we act toward one another. And the world is going to be how people make decisions about Christ. Because like it or not, we are God's representative. We are Jesus' representative to the world. It's us. We take him with us everywhere that we go. And nowadays with social media, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Sometimes I'll read comment sections of articles and read about Christians blasting other Christians. And, and it breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Because if I'm a non-Christian and I'm reading about how these Christians who love one another are just bashing each other, do I want to be a part of that? And this is a political season. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of angst, but there's also a lot of anger and, and vitriol going on. And I don't care where you stand, right? So, so there's anger at Donald Trump. There's anger at Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama. It just depends on where your political ideology is. So the question we have to ask as representatives to Christ in the world, because Facebook is, you know, be passionate for who you are and, and stand up for what you believe, but know that you are Christ's ambassador to the world. Be you, absolutely. I mean, I love my country. I love living here. I, this... This is a, a gift for, to, to be uh, uh, an American. And I love that I get to be here in this country. And I love that, that it gives freedom to others to be able to disagree with me. We don't have to agree on stuff in order to love one another. But the question we have to ask is, does this reflect Christ? Does this reflect, is this post, is this Facebook post going to draw people to Jesus or is it going to push them away? Don't mishear me. I want you to be passionate. I mean, we're talking about things that are hugely important. But you are Christ's ambassador to the world. And so am I. Just know that. And I know I'm meddling a little bit and that's part of my job. I'm going to walk a little bit slower through the passage uh, today, particularly because this is Independence Day. This is when we celebrate that, that the freedom that was bought for us a long, long time ago and um, when, when we were freed from Britain and, and became our own nation. And so I want to take, take some time going through this a little bit, a little bit slowly. Verse 9 says, Love must be sincere. 
Remember, we're talking about how to live this Christian life out. Love must be sincere. Did you know that love is not this touchy-feely thing that we often think it is? Oh, gosh, I love you. That's not all that love is. And we're talking about Christian agape love. It's far, far more than that. Love is about being committed to the well-being of another person. Committed to seeing them better. You know, I've, I'm a recovering uh, addict and alcoholic, as, you, as I told you all a couple of weeks ago. And I have worked in, in the recovery field for 20 plus years. And I will tell you that some of the most difficult yet loving things that I have seen families do is to let their loved one go. You know how hard that is? You want them to get it right. You want them to recover. You want them to get better. But you keep giving them money and you keep giving them stuff and all they do is keep abusing that and using that. And the most loving thing that a family can do in that circumstance is not to keep touchy-feely love. It's to go, no, and to let the person go because they're committed to the well-being of another. And that's what we're called to, is to be committed to the well-being. It's why we don't have to agree with people in order to love them. Which is good, because is there anybody in here who agrees with everybody? <laughs> okay, good, because I don't either. I should get my hand down. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. A few weeks ago, a terrorist committed a hate crime in the, against the LGBTQ community in Orlando. It was an act of evil. And I'm very grateful for the response of the church and that most of the churches in, as they re reached out to the LGBTQ community and were supportive of them, even if they didn't support them in the past. They wanted them to know that they weren't walking this path alone because they just loved them. And what it showed for me is something that John Wesley, a long time ago, uh, made this statement. Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. Without all doubt, we may. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. We will always have differences theologically and, and, and personally with, with different people. When evil happens, we have this tendency to draw together and it lets us consider things more deeply. And the thing that I'm wrestling with from that event the most is that those men and women in Orlando felt more comfortable being in a club than they did in a church. And I don't know what to do with that. I have a traditional understanding of Scripture. I see uh, human sexuality through that lens. I see uh, homosexuality as sin. But the church should be a place for all of us, for everyone to come and be met for who they are and loved as they are. And that's a tension, and I know it's a tension. But I don't, for me, you know, I'd ask you, but I know the answer to that. Anybody in here doesn't have any sin? We all do. We have unconfessed, we have sins of omission, we have sins of commission, sins that we know about, sins that we don't know about, things that we do. Anybody speed on the way to church? Welcome to sin. 
We're supposed to obey the governmental authorities and unless it violates the will of God. I don't know what to do with that, but I know I'm wrestling with it. I want people to be able to come to Jesus. I want them to be able to come to know who he is. And the kind of love I'm talking about this morning allows that to happen. To be committed to the well-being of another. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 10. You know, I've noticed this. I've worked with a lot of families in, in marriage counseling and uh, premarital counseling too. But relationships where the spouses or the soon-to-be spouses try to outserve one another, they tend to do really, really well. The ones where, no, you need to do what I tell you to do, they tend to not do really, really well. What if we tried to outserve one another in all that we do? If we're devoted to community, we'll build stronger relationships with each other, we'll build stronger relationships with our community. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Passion! Passion! That's right. Passion is something that the church needs more of. Do you know what? God loves you. He loves you, period. He loves you big. I went on a North Georgia walk to Emmaus in, in year 2000, and... Um, I was doing good. I mean, it's a retreat, three-day retreat, and it's um, for, you know, kind of a Christian leadership type training thing, and, and I didn't know what I was going, get, what I was in for, to be honest with you. Um, I, I was doing fine. I, I mean, I served in my church. I was a good Christian. I did, the, did things that, um, that good Christians do, you know. I, I hung out with the youth. I was doing a lot of good stuff. I, I, I kind of knew that God loved me. I certainly knew that he loved you. And, and I was on, so I went to Emmaus, and, and I got there, and you know what I found out? God loves me. Now, he loves you, but I found out that he loves me. Gary, he loves me, and he loves me big. He loves me big. He loves you. Carol, he loves you huge. Massively. He loves you. His love for you is massive. Andy? Big. <laughs> he loves you. Beyond understanding. And when that got into me, it began to change things for me because I was not just serving out of obedience. You know why I started serving? Because I wanted people to know that the love that God had for me, he has for you. And he has for everybody in here. He loves you beyond your understanding. He wants the best for you. He's not going to play with you. He's going to convict you when you sin. He's going to try and get you, get you moving on the right path. But he loves you. He loves you. There's a passion in our faith that we lose sight of. And I, and I just want us to grab it. Live this life passionately. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the picture of who we are. Joy. 
In the midst of some of the most difficult things in life, Christians have a joy that, other pe- that draws people to them because they go, what is up with that? How can you have joy when you're going through that? We have hope, patience. Well, I'm working on that one. Faithfulness, prayer, practice, practice. Remember a few weeks ago? How do you get better at stuff? Practice. How do you get better as a Christian? Practice. We do these things. We live this, this way and, it, and, and we live this out. It's critical for us in, in the body of Christ. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low positions. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I came across this story of a little girl who was dressed in this beautiful white dress. And she was heading down the road, and there was a little boy, and he was playing in the dirt. And the little girl had, had flowers, and so she's kind of skipping along, you know, having a, having a great day. And the little boy was a little boy playing it, so he grabbed that dirt and that nice white dress, and he threw it on that dress. And the little girl stopped, and she looked up, and you could see the tears starting to well up in her, in her eyes, and then she changed, her, her face changed, and she took one of those flowers, and she said, Larry, here handed a little boy the flower, and went about her business. And that little boy suddenly felt ashamed for what he had done. Because she didn't get mad at him, or she didn't start a fight, or she didn't cry. She repaid evil with good. And what if in our world we did that? What if we found a way, somehow, to do that? When someone does us wrong and we have, we have the right to retaliate, what if we didn't? What would this world look like for us? What would the church look like? The last part of this passage talks about revenge. Don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath because it's his. Now, I have battled judgment most of my life. That's something that um, God has had to really work with me on and he has had to break me. And I do not wish to be broken anymore, but if he needs to break me more, then I guess we'll go that path because that's where I, I just don't want to be as that judgmental guy anymore. And I know that some of us in here have a hard time leaving judgment to God. Paul knew that of the church then. That's why he gave us this passage. He knew it would be important for us. God knew it would be important for us today. In this time, in this age, in this era. I don't know what it is about why we have the need to judge other people. But we do. And I'm not talking about making judgments because we all make judgments and that's a good thing. I'm talking about that judgmentalism that works its way into our life and pretty soon I'm elevating myself and I'm lowering you and you're different from me and, and I separate us. That's judgmentalism. That's what I'm talking about. We're supposed to judge, by the way. 
We're just not supposed to be judgmental. Vengeance and final judgment is not our realm. That is the realm of God. And when the church remembers that, when we live that out, that's when we're able to present to the world a difference from who they are in the world. You want to be in the world, not of the world? Live that out. And that's hard. Imagine a place where all those things happened. A place where love was the primary thing. We studied hard to learn what God's will was. We worked hard on learning scripture so that we can learn who he is. But we filtered all that into the lives of others in a loving fashion. What if it was a, there was a place in community that, that interacted within that community? Not just a Sunday place or a couple of times a week place, Sunday, Wednesday, but a place every day where folks could come. People from all walks of life are welcome where local artists could could show that their wares where local musicians could come and hang out. Place where conversations led to relationships which led to connection, which led to God. Where the sacred and the secular could come together. Can you imagine a place like that? Can you see a place like that? A place where walls are broken down People are built up where the church can truly live out this calling to be in the world but not of the world. Because I think that that's who we're supposed to be. Because I can see that place. A place where hard conversations can happen. A place where we can have real relationships at death. Paul's writing in this chapter says to me that that place is possible if we'll put our love in action.